Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ of St. Paul, located in Matamidi, Minnesota. We are a suburban congregation united in Christ and grounded in the values of diversity, solidarity, and witness. You can learn more about us by going to fccstpaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. morning's gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, and it's the story of the transfiguration, starting with chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was that he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Jesus, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men standing with him, as the men were leaving, Jesus as, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone that anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. <coughs> you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Here ends the gospel reading. <clears throat> My name's Amy Birchhausen, and I'm happy to be here as the newest member of this congregation. So thank you for uh, welcoming me and uh, into this congregation and into this manifestation of the body of Christ. It is a joy for me. I have been fascinated by the transfiguration story for the last several years. I can't quite let go of it in my ponderings. And I still haven't settled on exactly how to understand this story. But I'm living with it that way. I've come to also to appreciate and understand how many, many artists have a time in their development when they work through over and over again a certain thing, 
like Picasso's Blue Period and Monet's repeated paintings of haystacks. He painted at least 30 paintings of the haystacks in the fields near his home. He said, I am working very hard, struggling with a series of different effects on the haystacks, but at this season the sun sets so fast I cannot follow it. The more I continue, the more I see that a great deal of work is necessary in order to succeed in rendering what I seek. And then there's his water lilies that he's so famous for. <laughs> 250 paintings of water lilies from his own backyard. He came back time and time again, ever finding a new beauty, searching for new ways to capture and convey and paint what, his eyes, what he saw with his eyes and heart. Picasso's blue period lasted about two or three years as he explored and worked through his own depression after the death by suicide of a close friend of his. And the paintings from this time period were sober explorations of people who were struggling in some way. And he had a very hard time selling any of them and making a living. Now these paintings are among the most highly valued of Picasso's work. So I think it's a good thing when we wrestle with scripture, trying to find more in its meaning, staying open to new meanings and understandings. If Monet can paint 250 paintings of water lilies, surely we can rest for a while in a single story of scripture. All this to say, I've been captured by this story, and I'm trying to understand its lighting in each of the versions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Mark, the story is shorter and more immediate, just like Mark. Everything about Mark is immediate, pressed, um, and it's a little more dire. It's likely the first version of this story. And in Matthew and Luke, it gets a little cleaned up a little bit and, and given some explanations of what's happening. While our reading for today is from Luke, it's Mark that captures me most. For years and years, I avoided preaching on uh, Transfiguration Sunday because it's such a strange story. The kind that if we were to tell it today, we would be thought to be imagining or hallucinating or fabricating the story. And all of those have different meanings in their own way. But today I'm gonna to focus on three aspects of this story. The trauma and stigma, the revelation, and the threshold. In Mark's story, this is a, in Mark's telling, this is a very raw story. Um, Jesus is the most human in Mark. And just before the transfiguration, Jesus is healing folks and arguing with a lot of folks. And I know that this can be tricky to say, but Jesus seems a little bit irritable. He seems short-tempered and stressed out, and why not? Those in power are getting increasingly impatient with his, his newfangled and threatening teachings. The crowds are starting to track him so closely and desperate people, like we hear this father at the end of this story, desperate people are seeking him out, begging in the most emotional and powerful way for him to heal their loved ones. And I have to believe that his disciples were starting to get increasingly nervous and afraid. This one who they had decided to follow because he was bringing them all closer to God is now hunted by those who need him most and who fear him most. 
maybe you've known those kinds of feelings of, of dread and irritability and frustration and exhaustion. When the everything is awesome precept begins to crack under strong emotions and opinions, or in this case, a looming tragedy. And maybe frustrations with undeniable truths that have been denied for years or decades or even centuries. I think they can feel the trauma of the passion and the crucifixion brewing, and they are thick with dread and fear. So in this time, Jesus says, let's go up to the mountain and pray and be quiet. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and this incredibly strange thing happens. Jesus begins to glow. His clothes are dazzling. Then Moses and Elijah appear out of thin air. And what I love is that they all know it's Elijah and uh, Moses, even though there's not photography. <laughs> but they know. They understand this is Moses and Elijah. And in Mark, it tells us they were terrified. Luke and Matthew drop that out. But they were terrified. Peter, in this terrified state, says, let's build three dwellings, one for each of them, so we can hold this moment permanently. Let's just say right here, right now, this is the one thing to hang on to forever, to make unchangeable. He wants to set up monuments to this moment. He wants to make it permanent. This is the moment. And then this cloud overshadows them. Luke tells us it's, it, it, it comes down over them, and they hear the voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And then in a snap, everything goes back to normal. Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus looks like his old self. He was the same Jesus, but they saw him now in a completely different light. And as they went back to their normal world, they decided to keep this episode to themselves and did not tell anyone. And in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that Jesus says to them, don't tell anybody about this. Let's just keep it to ourselves until after the resurrection. Why not tell people about it? Well, we know from the Me Too movement, the backlash to our nation's racial history, telling our racial history, that people tend not to believe folks who tell nearly unimaginable tales. And credibility is an important commodity when you're trying to build a movement like Jesus was and is. Credibility is elusive when you are trying to change fundamental religious and social structures. They needed their credibility, and perhaps the story was just a little too wild to share. Or maybe they were trying to avoid the wrong kind of attention. Or was Jesus telling them, spend a little time with this moment before you start blabbing about it? Try to understand what this means. Was Jesus calling for a secret? Or just a bit of privacy while they unpacked this incredible moment? Whatever the case is, we know that the telling of this story was not what Jesus wanted at that moment. 
sometimes there's a really thin line between privacy and secrecy. We want to be keep things, some things confidential because it's a way to honor the sacred and other people and what they tell us. But a secret is something that we don't want anyone to know because it would be bad for us or someone else. I worked in the mental health field for many years and we tried so hard to make sure we were always keeping things confidential because of the sacred trust. It was only in the space of that sacred trust could people then tell us their secrets of shame and pain and suffering. Jesus and the gang were probably afraid of the same kind of stigma that people carry with them at times. Lord knows there's enough stigma out there for people who have experiences we have not, and we don't always believe them. The revelation. So what's the difference between transformation and transfiguration? Why are we using this word transfiguration in this story and not transformation? Well, transformation is often used to mean something or someone that has changed into a completely different person or thing, like the cover of our bulletins today. The butterfly is a wonderful example of this, from essentially a worm to becoming an incredible butterfly. We would not believe it if we didn't see it for ourselves. But the word used here in scripture is translated as transfigured. It seems that Jesus was not transformed from one thing to another, but he is revealed to his disciples for who he truly is. The child of God, the savior, the one with whom God is well pleased. As someone on the same plane as Elijah and Moses. It's as if in this time of increasing stress and even impending doom, the disciples need to understand and know just who Jesus is. And if the shining face and clothes, the appearance of Elijah and Moses isn't enough, God brings God's own voice to say, this is the one, the one to follow and love, even in and especially in a time like this. And just as Jesus is revealed for who he truly is, God is at all times calling us to be who we were created to be, our real selves. Not always perfect, but perfectly children of God. This story is about being terrified and faithful. Being transformed, but really transfigured, despite the powers that deem to keep Jesus and you and us as less than God created us to be. The threshold. At such a moment, this is called, this is called like a threshold moment. Dana Reynolds says that thresholds are potent openings to change requiring conscious choice and discernment. Crossing this particular form of threshold often requires courage a move from familiar surroundings to a strange place, the commencement of new work, the response to enter a particular relationship, or the call to explore deepening paths to the divine. These are moments requiring deep inner listening and discernment. Though these moments in a lifetime when it helps to gather wisdom and support. So to be on the threshold, 
between one room and the next. We don't have very many thresholds anymore like where you actually have the, <laughs> the transition bump <laughs> because we've smoothed all that out. But when we're in, when we stand in a doorway and we're neither in the room behind us or the room in front of us, we're going from one way of being to a new way of being, from the old to the new. It's a defining moment of before and future. A moment in a life of faith when you decide what it is to be faithful and then step out and do it. I like to think of Lent as a time of standing on a threshold, a time to figure, to think about how we might be transfigured or revealed or understand who we are and who we're called to be. When we follow our true callings in life and faith, we are revealed to ourselves and others as God made us to be. What have we thought of Lent is not a time of trial and Dep deprivation, but as a time to consider how we are becoming more faithful, more faith-filled individual, family, and church. Whatever our individual thresholds, no matter what may be calling us to the deepest places within our hearts and souls, we need companions, each other, Sometimes we need someone to stand with us on the threshold. In this time, we are living in a threshold time in our world. Can you feel it? We are in between. And maybe the next place is not the place we want to go. We learn from the teachings of this story and one another. We gather wisdom and courage to step assuredly across the thresholds of our lives and the life of the church and this church. We all have threshold moments and we are neither here nor there. We are called to reflect on the presence of Christ within us, not by becoming something we aren't, but by allowing the light of Christ that lives within us to shine on our friends and family, to shine here and on a troubled world. On that mountaintop, Jesus' light shone, and he stepped over the threshold onto the long road of redemptive love. We hope, we I hope we believe that God is calling us as a church into a new way of being, the body of Christ. <coughs> Even if we cannot see it clearly or with certainty, we know that God is with us on every threshold. I hope this Lenten season you can believe that God is calling you to a new way of being, while at the same time remembering God is right with you. Amen. We hope today's sermon podcast was nourishment to your soul. If you'd like to know more about First Christian Church of St. Paul, please visit our website at FCC. St. Paul.org. That's F C C S A I N T P A U L.org. May God be with you in the coming week.